0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Well, those of you who are our guests today, I want you to know that you have come in the middle of a series here on the ABCs of character building. And we're learning from the Bible what the Bible has to say, not only from a biblical basis what character is all about, but we're singling out each Sunday a particular character trait. And we're learning about that character trait, what it is, what it's not, what it means, how it's found in the person of Christ, and how that we can have that character trait lived out through us as we yield to the Lord through His power. And so this is really a great opportunity for you to come with us and be on this journey. And if you miss some of our messages, you can certainly get them on the Internet or you can get our tapes. But today we're in a a topic today that's called loyalty and like-mindedness. We provided you with some outlines that you can fill in if you'd like, but you may just want to sit back and listen. Let me begin by saying, first of all, this message has been more specifically designed at the beginning for those who already know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because I'm going to be talking about loyalty to those that already know they're going to heaven when they die. How many here, you're positive that if you're to die today, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? Alright, that's the group that I'm speaking to. Those of you that aren't certain of going to heaven today by faith alone, I don't want you to sit back and kind of zone out. I'd like you to come up even closer in your mind. I want you to lean into this message because you're going to hear some truths about loyalty from the Bible that you might not have heard before. And I hope that you'll understand it a little bit better and that you then can come to know Christ so that you'll know that it's really through His loyalty that you can be a part of His forever family by faith alone in Christ. Now, in ...working through this message and doing the research on it and preparing for it, I spent a lot of time and as I did it I was talking to various people about loyalty and I am finding that people today really have a hard time hearing a message on loyalty... And as I sur- di- surveyed different ones, here are some of the reasons that they have a difficult time really drilling deeply into the concept of loyalty. One is because at one time they had an agreement that was made between them and another person. And that other person, for whatever reason, we don't have, can't chase every rabbit, but for whatever reason, that person broke loyalty. And so now the person who has had disloyalty shown to them, they begin to question, well, if that person can go on with life without being loyal, then maybe I could fudge in this life and not be loyal. And so I don't need to hear all this loyalty stuff. I can run my life myself. Then there's another issue. Some people, they have, of course, have been um, reading papers or articles about people that have blindly followed other people. They were loyal to a fault. And I think there are enough of you here old enough to remember the story of Jim Jones and those 900 plus people that were so loyal to Jim Jones and quote his cause that they would drink poisoned Kool-Aid and thus they all died there and a few other people as well. And that would be blind loyalty. And some of you, when I speak on loyalty today, you already are thinking, well, you know, there's a time you don't want to be loyal and remember Jim Jones. And Satan could use, as wise as that is, to... Pull so far back from loyalty that we really miss the great truths that God would have for us to be loyal. Think with me for just a moment, and I'll be building my case on this. Can you imagine if there wasn't loyalty that was shown between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, and God the Father, and God the Son, God the Father, God... You know what I'm saying here? That there wasn't that loyalty band or that loyal band together in the Godhead. Where would the Godhead be? We wouldn't even have what we have as Christianity. It would be fully, full of flaws, and then because of that loyalty that they had to one another, God displayed that loyalty to us. That when He made a promise to us, He was loyal to His own nature, His own character. And then He fulfilled that promise and thus we are a recipient of His own loyalty when He sent His Son to the cross to die for us and rise again. And so yes, it is true. There are people and organizations and perhaps belief systems that at one time we ignorantly followed in, in a displaced loyalty. But that doesn't mean that we throw loyalty overboard because loyalty is very, very important for us as Christians. And perhaps today we are not committed like we once were that we kind of almost do what we think is right in our own eyes because we just don't like that word loyal because it means submission, it means humility, it means commitment and we step away from it. And I hope that would not be the case with this church here. Now those of you that are really on the outside and you heard the verses read to us by our friend Brian on uh, one-mindedness and like-mindedness and unity and same mind, you might be thinking that you've come into a church where the pastor is now experiencing a lot of disunity among its members or the members towards the leadership or even me personally. I have to tell you that that is not the case. God led me to do this with the letter L and loyalty and like-mindedness. I believe it's a biblical principle and I get to tell you with, with the most authentic heart I can tell you that I get to pastor a church where there's an incredible amount of loyalty and like-minded in this church. And that doesn't all mean that we're going to be right in the center on every issue but any any issue that is major we're together on and on the minor points we're still sorting that out and learning how much we could agree even on some of the minor points together. So you that are guests today I want you to sit back relax you are in a safe faith family where there is a lot of loyalty but we want to take it to another level as well. Well going back to this lack of loyalty I picked up this quote that came from some statistics in the business world for those of you that have been impacted by disloyalty in the business world. It's coming from a book called The Loyalty Effect and it's written by Frederick Rickfield, and here's what he said. Loyalty is dead, the experts proclaim, and the statistics seem to bear them out. On average, U.S. corporations now lose half their customers in five years, half their employees in four years, half their investors in less than one year. We seem to face a future in which the only business relationships will be opportunistic transactions between virtual strangers because people don't make the commitment that they once did. They're not as loyal as they once were. Now, I won't have you do this because I know for some of you this may be too painful, but I would not be surprised at just those here in our auditorium that you are now suffering pain and maybe a long-term pain because of disloyalty in someone in their marital vows to you. You might be living the result of a broken relationship because that person was not loyal to you but really they weren't loyal to their marital vows and thus the result is you're living a, a broken relationship from them and that list could go on so it can happen in the business professional community it can certainly happen in marriages and frankly they can still happen in churches as healthy as our church is i want you to know that satan would love to divide us because if he divides us then we begin to major on the minors instead of on the lord and that's why a message like this is so important But yet, like-mindedness and loyalty is taught more by, here it is, modeling than it is by telling and sometimes even screaming at people. I find now that as a a leader for so many years, I've had to hire people that have worked for me. They're working for the organization, and yay, they are working for God, but in a sense, they do answer to me. And I know what it's like to have disloyalty in staff members, and I know the pain and the confusion that it causes. I know what it's like to go away and speak somewhere and then have to always look over your shoulder. What are they doing with the faith family that you love behind your back? And if you don't think that can happen, it can happen. It could happen to people that are far greater leaders than I'll ever be, like King David with his own son, Absalom, that turned the heart of the people away from King David. Now let me say this again quickly. I am not experiencing that here. But it can happen to any one of us. And so we all go through those types of pain. And I pray that wouldn't be the case. So, yes, I will try to teach you on loyalty and what it really means, but it's going to have to be those of you that are willing to say, you know what, I do want to take the high road. It's less traveled. I really want to show to this world what true loyalty is all about, biblical loyalty. Hear what I just said. So I'm not going to give you some earthy little principles that I can get out of some humanistic book. They're going to come from the Bible. Now, when I do that, I have a problem with that. I have A problem, you know what I mean. But my problem is this. One, I'm going to have to approach loyalty from an area or direction you probably have not heard before. So I need you to lean into this as I build my case on biblical loyalty. The second is this. Boy, you're really not going to like this one. I'm going to either have to speak faster than I'm speaking now or I may go a little bit longer. So you pray for me right now. Either pray that you listen faster or I'm allowed to go longer. And I can imagine right now what you are praying for. All right. So let's take a little quiz just to see if you're with me on the same page of disloyalty for a moment. So just do this yourself on questions, self-evaluation. Number one is this, and I hope you'll be honest and the Lord knows your heart. Do I share problems I'm having with my mate or my boss or my parents or my church or with others instead of the one with whom I'm having the problem? Right away, you've shown disloyalty to that person. Number two, am I using my present ministry or place of employment resources to gain personal experience skills to help me in moving on to another ministry or place of employment now let me take the edge off of that i would hope that all of my staff number one would be learning in this ministry to be better leaders and better servants and better whatever god would call them so i would want them to use our resources and our people to really grow and if i had a staff that nobody else would want then I wouldn't want them on my staff either. I want staff that everybody else would want. But what I'm saying by this question is this. How many people that are on staffs, and it could be you and me, that would use the current staff to help write your resume, to do things, to learn, to gain your own little platform so that quickly you can shed that organization so you can go to somewhere else, but you did it at the expense of leaving a big hole in that other organization, the one you've left. So just think about it. It's not wrong to move on. It's how we do it. Number three. Am I quick to believe a bad report about a family member or a friend or another person before checking out all of the facts? Where does loyalty is? We just loyal as the last conversation we've had with someone? Number four, do I give up having my own way so I can pursue peace with other people? In other words, I'm loyal to the biblical principle of having peace. Not at all expense, but at the right expense. And finally, this. This one really spoke to me. Can I tenderly dialogue with someone so we can end in agreement? And so in other words, if I am with a broken relationship with someone, my my motive ought to be, how can I bring that relationship back together again instead of splitting it even further and splitting that relationship with other relationships like a bowling ball down an alley and splitting up the pins? I don't want to do that. I want to be a part of something that brings people together. Now, I'd like to teach you a concept. Some of you that are in our leadership classes and have been with me have heard this concept. And I'd like you to maybe think about this and talk about it. I want to talk about unity for just a moment. We're going to assume this room right here represents a principle or an issue that we would be dealing with in marriage, at work, in a committee, whatever it is. This is what we call the unity room. For so many years, we would think that in order to be unified, that we would have to be in the unity room. But really unified is in the center of the unity room. Everybody has to think exactly the same, speak exactly the same, and be exactly the same intensity on each issue. So in other words, to be in unity, we have to be on top of one another, all stacked up in the very smack dab center of that room. When in reality, as I go through scripture, it's not necessarily that case at all. There are boundaries, but there's also flexibility. And so what's really important is allowing a person to come into the unity room, inviting them into the unity room, telling them that they ought to be in the unity room because this is truth and accuracy. But allow them the time to process through their own abilities and understanding to see how close they can get to the center instead of quickly marginalizing them and expecting them to have the same passion for that issue that you do or have all the facts that you've had. Now those of you that are going to go into the ministry, sometimes you are going to serve on a board and that board will spend months and and, and maybe many months discussing something. They throw it to the congregation on one Sunday and they wonder why doesn't the congregation follow them when the board had months to cuss and discuss, we might say, over that issue. So it might take time to process. Now, I'm about ready to get into our outline for today, but I want to give this one more shot and here it is. There are issues about which you will not be unified on. There will not be a reason to be loyal. And so there are issues. The virgin birth, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit and God, the Trinity. Salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. The fact that the Bible is a completed book right here and it's without error. And I'm going to be loyal to those principles and probably many more than just those. And so I will break, perhaps, fellowship with those that would be diametrically opposed to what this book says. Well, let me begin for a moment here defining what loyalty is and what it's not. Coming from the secular dictionary, like-mindedness and loyalty means simply having a similar opinion or purpose or a task. And that's not bad. The closer you are on an issue, you know, unless two uh, agree, you can't walk together. So that's not a bad definition. It's kind of shallow. Noah Webster says this. It says that loyalty is having a like disposition or purpose reason I like this is it's not just about the external, it's about an attitude that comes from right thinking. So you have a purpose, you have a goal, you know where you're going and you think alike on that same issue. Then I move it into the New Testament with Vine's Expository Death Dictionary, and they give you two, wor- two separate Greek words. Each word is really a compound word. So it's made up of two words joined together, that's one word. Two words joined together, that's a second word. And here's what those two words mean on like-mindedness and loyalty. So if we want to buy into at least understanding the term of it without just the illustration, here's what you will get. You'll get the term equal soul. Equal soul. You that are in the dating world, you've heard this term used, we are soul mates, which means we are equal soul. It's amazing as a pastor, how many weddings that I'm called upon to perform. How excited they are. Hopefully they went through a good amount of biblical counseling ahead of time to get ready for this. And they go to that uh, to the altar and they are what they would like to say soul mates, you know. She's stunning and he's stunned, but they're all looking at each other with these eyes. They're so excited. And how we grieve as pastors as we find that those relationships begin to drift and eventually end in divorce. Whatever happened to that soul mate? Whatever happened to that loyalty? Well, just think about that. Another word in the Greek is the word that says the same mind or one mind or to think alike. So I'm now taking this, running it through biblical illustrations. So I think you are soul mates when you become like-minded. Now, that's simple definition. But now to understand the explanation, you've got to go through a lot of Scripture. So it is true for Carol and I to be soulmates that we have to be loyal to each other. We have to be like-minded. And to the degree we are like that, the better soul mates that we will be. Now, that's just a biblical term. So, so let me give you a definition that may work for you. Massage it. Take it through Scripture and expand on it if you'd like. Here it is. Loyalty or like-mindedness is this. Having the same mind... With another person by scripturally agreeing on the same things. Having the same mind with another person by scripturally agreeing on the same things. Now, those of you that are outside the faith, you're hearing that term scripturally in agreement, so to speak, and you're going to say, now, I don't understand all of that, and I could understand why you might say that. But remember, the right way for us to think about life and godliness and relationships and all that we have our being needs to come from the Scriptures, from the Word of God, because this is God's mind on paper. So to the degree that we will agree with what Scripture has to say, that's the important thing, watch this now, and to the degree that that other person will agree scripturally, then we are not so much loyal to each other, that would be a humanistic approach, but we are loyal to the Word We are loyal to the God of the Word, and to the degree we're both doing that, to that degree we have like-mindedness, which means we have loyalty, which means that we have soul-mateness together. So it all comes back to the Bible. Now, some of you are hearing that, and you're going to let Satan tell you that means we just have to be little robots about the Bible, you know? And the problem is we don't. Or the good news is we don't. The bad news is there are a lot of churches that will teach you so many things in the Christian life that sounds so good, but are not accurately described or explained in Scripture, that all of a sudden, you've got um, religion, you've got um, legalism, but you don't have the fresh air of grace. And that's where it's found in Scripture, how important it is. Well, with that in mind, let's go to the next question. How is loyalty and like-minded illustrated in Scripture? I need you to lean into this, because this is the bedrock upon which true loyalty is found. You're going to find it. It says, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one. Now, I've already taught you about the Trinity. We already taught you about the Godhead all being together. But this is huge. This is so huge that without this, I don't really believe you can have a a, a continuing basis for any authentic loyalty. Now, follow along as I read this passage to you. Now, now look at it carefully. Look at this. This is is huge. Jesus is saying these words because they're one in agreement. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them my father who has given them to me is greater than all now go on and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand now notice he says here no one can snatch them out of my hand now it says here no one can snatch them out of my father's hand why next sentence i and my father are one now we could park right there now, there are three truths that just jump out of this passage. The first truth is this. Watch this carefully. The first truth is, is that God and the Son are on the same page. Disunity or disloyalty is the inability to get on the same page. So now you see that God the Father God the Son are on the same page. The second truth you get out of this is that God the Father and God the Son are one. Therefore, they are on the same page. Now, look up here. Look up here. Because of that, in the truth of that we are kept in His hand, the result of it is we are on the same page with Him and we will never lose our salvation. Now, we could talk all about eternal security in this passage, but the reason we have eternal security is because God the Father, God the Son are on the same page because they're one. God the Father holds us. God the Son holds us. And when you've got the deity hanging on to us, no one, nothing, will ever be powerful enough to rip us out of God's hand. And some of you might say, "Oh, well, I believe that, but I could take myself out of God's hand. Let me tell you, we are pipsqueaks to God. We cannot take ourselves out of God's hand by our lifestyle, by our thought life, by anything. Once we get into His hand... And we we're given into His hand by God Himself. It's by faith alone we are now kept by Him. Now think about this. Stay with this illustration. Follow with me. Okay, here we are. We're on a busy street. We're going to cross the poly Highway. And I'm going to take your youngest child or your youngest grandson or daughter. And as we get ready, we come up over here to the street. And I say to him, because I'm a good man, a good father, a good pastor, and I want to protect your child, I'm going to say, son, daughter, here, grab my hand. We're going to go across the street. And so we walk across the street. Most of you probably will applaud me for remembering to take a hold of your kid's hand. And so I say, grab my hand and walk them across the street. But that illustration is tremendously flawed. Because halfway across the street, if your grandchild or child sees money or a ball or a distraction, because they're, watch this, holding onto my hand, they could drop my hand, out they go, and they could get killed. That's not what this passage is saying. The passage is saying that God the Father, God the Son are loyal to each other. They're loyal to the truth that says that once we are in His hand, He holds on to us. This is huge. So therefore, He is loyal to us in the commitment to eternal security because He's loyal to each other. So now I take your kid and I'm going to walk him across the street and I would never tell your child, hold on to my hand because that puts his safety in his own hand of whether he stays connected. No, I'm going to say to your son or daughter, I'm going to say, hey, let me have your hand. I take your child's hand and I hold him in my hand. Now, when I'm walking across the street, I'd like to think that I'm stronger than your child or grandkid is. So while we're walking across the street, your kid now, he decides to bolt from this and he wants to run off this way or run off that way. Well, what do you think is going to happen when he runs off? I'm not going to let him go. God can't let us go because that would break the integrity of God. So what happens is, is that I'm going to hold on to your kid. Now, he may quickly jerk from me. And when he does, he's going to get way out there. When he gets that far away, what do you think I'm going to do? What would you think you'd do? You'd take that kid and you'd get right back. Now, when I pull him back because I don't want him to get hurt, he's running across the street, I pull him back, that pain is going to be there, that little bit of momentary pain. So the loyalty is God holds on to us. We might try to drift from him by whatever choice we make, but we will never get so far that we'll break from his hand. He keeps us. The Godhead keeps us. So that means I will never, ever, ever lose my salvation. So if you want to know anything about loyalty, it's found in the Godhead and the promise that he makes to us that he can keep. I am so sorry for any of you that have had disloyalty shown to you, a boss who defrauded you, a mate who's defrauded you a child who was not loyal to you and spoke against you behind your back. I feel for your pain. I pray that through this message that we will be more loyal to one another than we were before this message. But I can't even promise that. But I can unashamedly and confidently say, the Lord will always be loyal to you because he was loyal to each other. And now the bottom line is, will we be loyal to him? Let's go a little bit further here. So God the Father, God the Son, they're all one. They're loyal to each other. Look at the second bullet point. It says, God's children should be in agreement with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to read this a little bit longer passage, but get your pen out because this is huge. You have the Godhead in agreement. Now we should be in agreement with the Godhead on loyalty. And here's what Jesus says in John 17, that great unity passage, that great unity prayer. He says, I pray for them, the disciples, and for us who would come afterwards. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given to me. So again, for those that know Christ as Savior. He's praying for us in the future. Those of you that have not trusted Christ, he wants you to be a part of his family. But right now, he says 2,000 years ago, he's praying for us. You could be a part of that if you get into the family by faith. Then it says, for they are yours. So the son is talking to the father. You've given them to me, those new Christians, and I'm giving them to you. And then it says, and all mine are yours. You can underline that. All that I have belong to you. Now, notice the rest. It says, and yours are mine. So now you have God the Father, God the Son, loyal to each other. Now you have God the Father, God the Son, loyalty to us. And look at the result. Look at it. Look at it. It says, and I am glorified in them. Now, I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, and now circle this phrase, that they may be one as we are. So look up here again. This is huge. God the Father, God the Son, the whole Trinity is all together. Now he says, I want us to be together with him. And he says, now, if I could be on the same page with God, then I can also be on the same page with each other, with one another here, because we are all wrapped up into the eternal spiritual matter. And I know this gets woo-woo-woo with some of you. Maybe I could say it another way. You believers will understand what I'm saying. Those of you that are on the outside, it's going to sound kind of squirrely, but it's really not. So listen up. Since we know the Godhead is together, we're not going to argue that fact. We also know that when I've been accepted in the beloved one, I've been born again and I have a divine nature. I'm also partaker of his divine nature, which is unified. So now I have the unified Godhead, watch this, living inside of me right here. So the Godhead is not duking it out inside of me right now. He is all one.